That's the feeling I get when I think about this team. Welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode number 158. It is indeed the one where we're going to wrap it all up and send it into the sunset because every new beginning is another beginnings. And I'm Greg Wisniewski, joined by Joshua Housem. Josh, how you doing? I'm doing real well. That's good to hear. Good to hear. Uh, freshly married, so congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, now that we've gotten all that business out of the way, haha. <laughs> Um, we got to shut down this Blue Jays season. That's what we got to do. And what a season it was. Yeah, it was so... Uh, it was 100, 162 games long, that's for sure. They didn't miss a single one. No, of course not. And they didn't lose 100 games, so yay, I guess. Yeah. So um, as we usually do at this time of year, um, I feel like there's usually some more excitement uh, to it. But we are going to go through our categories for uh, some stuff that uh, we thought about this year. And then we're going to go through our listener categories. So thank you to all of our listeners who gave us suggestions. You honestly gave us so many. I don't think we can cram them all into one show, but we attempted to cover the broad range and certainly something that was suggested more than once we tried to include. Uh, So hopefully we'll uh, throw some some uh, meat to the wolves or What's the phrase there? I don't know. Let's just go with yours. Okay. Uh, so we shall begin. <laughs> throw them a bone? <laughs> yeah, throw them a bone. That's it. We will throw a bone to you, uh, to you good listeners. Uh, okay. So preliminary categories. We'll, just, we'll start with some general things we've observed about the season. Player that we most enjoyed watching. Who makes that the top of that list for you? Well, you know, you know that almost always I'm going to default to a pitcher. Yes. And... If I'm going to default to a pitcher, there's really only one answer. (laughs) (laughs) Because the rest of the pitching craft was terrible. Uh, Ken Giles. I can see that. Yeah, I can totally see that. I Actually, I was going to make a joke about your marriage being delayed because of your difficult divorce from Marco Estrada, and then I forgot. So... Well, you still still got the laugh out of your joke, so (laughs) no one else may find that funny, but I do, so that's what matters. Um, So the player I most enjoyed watching, I would say, is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Um, Just generally, I think it was uh, he's a fun guy uh, to watch in the dugout. Um, He is, you know, he's a demonstrative player, and he settled in after coming back from his his difficulties at at the on the infield. Um, He settled in to be really exciting because I think the the you know, weren't expecting him to be anything in the outfield. And, and he was, you know, average with a with a very good arm. Um, so that was a lot of fun because stuff happening on the base pass is, uh, I think, fewer and far between, you know, because of all the home runs and the strikeouts and everything. Uh, and so, you know, Lourdes made things happen there from a, from a defensive standpoint. So it was pretty cool. Yeah, and it says a lot, too, about, you know, some of the enjoyment levels of the season that both these guys spent significant time injured. <laughs> <laughs> and we're fine with that. <laughs> Congratulations. You're still the best we could think of. Um, yeah. Which, of course, brings us to the player we least enjoyed watching. And I can go first here. I can say, uh, as you reflected, the pitching staff was uh, kind of a dog's breakfast of of names that we are all going to forget in the next four months. Um, so I would say any pitcher not named uh, Giles or Shoemaker was pretty much the player I least enjoyed watching. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good bet. I was going to go with Edwin Jackson, who was just terrible. But I didn't because his outings were always over so quickly because he'd be out after like two innings. <laughs> Sean Reid Foley. Overall, his numbers are not horrible, but 
my goodness, he works so slow. And nibble, walk, nibble, 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 walk, walk, walk. Ugh, it was just every inning was excruciating. Even if he actually got through it without giving up a lot of runs, it was just I had to change the channel every time he came on the mound. The anti Roy Halliday. The anti lots of good pitchers. <laughs> And you would think that a young guy would not be in that mode, right? You would think that the trust your stuff thing would would at least have a chance to uh, to you know usher you into the big leagues, but obviously not so much. Not doing so well. Favorite moment, uh, along with our you know the player we most enjoyed watching. I feel like favorite moments are going to be kind of uh, kind of little spikes of happiness in a sea of questionable moments. <laughs> What do you got? I mean, that's what they've been in this category for the last couple of years. Mm. I actually had a few to pick from between here, but I ended up going with my boy, Anthony Alford, hitting the walk-off home run because, you know, as I made very clear on this podcast, I really (laughs) like Anthony Alford, you know, as a person and a baseball player. And... Yeah, so seeing him get that moment was really fun. Yeah, I think that's a little sort of a personal moment as well as an Alfred moment, right? To see that, yeah, yeah, it's just nice for him. Not that he's going to be a great home run hitter ever or anything, but nice for him to go, yeah, I can hit home runs. So there, deal with it. Um, and I walk off to do it, right? His first one is to end the game. Yeah, in extra innings, not just not just the ninth inning thing where you know, no, he's everybody's been grinding, nobody's been able to get a hit. Boom. Everybody's- and he came in as a pinch hitter because he never started, even in September. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I should have been playing the whole game. We would have won in nine. <laughs> exactly. Uh, my moment was, a, I guess, a series of moments. But uh, Bobachet's extra base hit streak to start his career was uh, it was it was great to see a Blue Jays rookie like bounce onto the scene. And I mean, he did. He averaged more than a hit per game, even over the course of the season. But but to really really hit the ground running was was awesome. It was like, hey. This all of the prospect um, pedigree that he came with, being number two in the Blue Jays system, really it was legit, and he was out there, you know, manning shortstop at the same time. So, uh, yeah, he it seemed like he was a player who had real value, and it, that's a lot of fun. So I'm I'm all for yeah. Bobuchet. Most surreal moment, surreal. I mean, I'll, there's a lot of things that go on that would be defined as surreal when you lose 95 games. So that was hard to pick for me, but I would say the most surreal was Aaron Sanchez having his best start right after being traded to the Houston Astros and participating in a combined no-hitter with another Blue Jay, Joe Biagini. That was just like, that's like the baseball gods going, yeah, you, just everything about Toronto this year is just cursed. Yeah. <laughs> you missed the part too where like right as that was happening Derek Fisher who was the trade mm, yeah. the piece that came back that was under woman took a ball off the face and had to leave the game because <laughs> he missed a fly ball not on a dive or anything he just he just missed it missed it yeah see my whole thing was my surreal moment was the entire trade deadline process because I was on a plane when, when part of what happened and I get off the plane and say Marcus Stroman has been traded to the Mets. And it's like, wait, wait what? <laughs> what is happening here? And then I was driving and I get off and it's like, Aaron Sanchez traded to the Astros. Okay. With Joe Biagini. Okay. And Cal Stevenson. Okay. For Derek Fisher. What? Okay. <laughs> and? No, and. <laughs> and then there was the, it's actually the, for, uh, for Derek Fisher and another piece. Like it was first reported Sanchez and Biagini for Fisher and another piece. 
And then it turns out the other piece was Cal Stevenson going to the, <laughs> the Astros. And so by every all... measure of that trade, the Blue Jays, I think they got hosed. I don't know if you can say that, though, because if you look at the way it ended up, Biagini was Biagini, and he wasn't very good. Sanchez was injured after three starts and out for the season. And the Jays still have Derek Fisher, so <laughs> they might actually come out ahead on it. Yeah, all he has to do is play at replacement level at some point. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, fine. Um, the biggest surprise of the season, what would you say that was? You skipped a category there, but... Uh... Most surreal moment, biggest surprise. No, I... Nope, nope, you didn't. I scrolled down. My bad. <laughs> it's Eric Sogard, right? Okay. But to me, to me, it was. Because, like, Eric Sogard's career high in home runs was three. And when Eric Sogard started doing Eric Sogard things, we didn't quite know the effects of the baseball yet. So... When he had four home runs in the first, like, three weeks of his call-up, it, it was a little shocking. I'm with you. I'm, I'm also, though, I was surprised by Kevin Biggio's patience at the plate because I, I, there's just a lot of guys who come up and they have, they have a high OBP in the minors uh, because it's a bit of a different game down there and the quality of pitching is different. And, and that rarely translates, you know, kind of one-for-one one in the majors. And Biggio, other than Justin Smoke, Biggio took as many walks as anybody on this team. I was just like, okay, that's not... And that, I guess, wasn't really necessarily advertised as his pedigree because when they started talking about him, it was the, the sudden surge in power that, that suddenly made him a prospect that was probably going to get called up, not his his overall hitting profile. So I was a little uh, little shocked. Pleasantly shocked, but still shocked. Both pleasant surprises, which is nice. We we decided to go positive with this one. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to stay positive, I guess. Your clutch performer of the year, Josh. Well, it's kind of hard to be clutch when you lose <laughs> 95 games. So to me, there's only one default answer. It's the one guy whose role is defined by pitching in a close game when your team is in a chance to win. <laughs> so it's Ken Giles and only Ken Giles. Uh, and, and in the vein of, yeah, I, I'm just going to agree with you because I don't think there's a real strong argument for any other role on this team having, having panned out that way. So Ken, you've got, you're going to get to hear his name a lot, I guess, as we go through all these lists and for good reason, because he did the things that you're supposed to do as a all-star caliber closer. Um, who yeah, is, and, yeah, as long as you're not hurt. And we'll get into him a little bit more because we have other award catters come up and he's the obvious choice for a couple of them so but in this case clutch he blew only one save sweet biggest breakout i guess the definition of breakout is uh i guess that's difficult I, we could probably put eric sogard in this category if, if depending on your definition of breakout so i'm gonna say for me it was Bo Bichette. um because that that immediate debut i guess he you know he broke out of the minors um so what I talked about earlier, that, you know, the extra base hit streak and and pretty much being consistent the whole time he was healthy before the concussion, uh, I, I would say was was impressive. Yeah, I think that's a good pick. It's not the one I went with, but I mean, he burst on the scene, hit 311 with a 358 on base and a 571 slugging. That's announcing yourself. And if that's not what a breakout is, I'm not really sure what is. But I went in a slightly different direction. I went with your favorite player to watch, Lourdes Gurriel, because... You know, he went from being, you know, a potentially 
like a guy that's looking like maybe a utility backup at a bunch of spots, you know, who's not going to kill you at the bat, but not really help you anywhere in the field to a dynamic offensive threat, 20 home runs in 84 games and a really good defensive outfielder. So to me, he turned into like a legitimate potential cornerstone piece as opposed to, you know, just a guy. I'd like to give an honorable mention um, to Teoscar Hernandez here. Uh, after returning from the minors, basically running out a, a, a 900 OPS. Again, you're not your favorite measure, but certainly an above average hitter, uh, despite his defensive liabilities, which is something he had trouble being consistent with until the last ha- latter half of this year. So just honorable mention. I like it. Biggest disappointment. Well, then. <laughs> Go ahead. Give me your biggest disappointment. Uh, to me, it was Aaron Sanchez. I mean, for the last couple of years, it was you know, Aaron Sanchez. If only he could stay healthy. If only he could stay healthy. He made 23 starts before the deadline. His ERA was 6.07. Yeah. He walked 4.7 batters per nine. He gave up 10.5 hits per nine. His velocity was down. His pitch usage was weird. Everything about him was just not good, and he only finally started turning around before getting traded. So again, he didn't even get to enjoy the good part. Um, the biggest disappointment for me was the team, despite all of the history with Marcus Stroman and Aaron Sanchez, and having the you know the opportunity for keeping a homegrown player around. And again, I'm not saying that they should have done it. I was just disappointed that neither Stroman nor Sanchez panned out as an extendable pitcher, even though Stroman is a very serviceable guy. They just weren't able to put it together. And I, it just, you feel like a lot of other teams that have, um, have resources, financial resources managed to get their, not necessarily their, all these great players, but their, their best players managed to keep the hometown player around who they've developed from day one. And, and, you know, I remember when Marcus Stroman was drafted so it, it's disappointing to see that uh, those two guys are now doing their own thing somewhere else, like thousands of other or hundreds of other Blue Jays players, it seems. Yeah. Now, rock bottom. For a team that loses 95 games, I'm not sure where you locate. You know, it's a, it's a spectrum of bottoms. Some of them with yeah. rocks. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. It's the losing streak that brought the 100-loss season back into the conversation. It was, I believe it was seven games in a row? Yeah, against Houston, Atlanta, and Tampa. Yeah, and it was suddenly, it went from the games, the, the Blue Jays, all they have to do is kind of play a little below 500 or whatever, just kind of steady themselves into the season. And they had a, they had kind of a good streak going where they won something like 11 of 14 or whatever. It was like, okay, so these kids, maybe they can play. And then they lost seven in a row. It was like, oh, we're running out of season here. What's going on? Yeah, they went from having to go eight and seventeen, which is not that good. It's like well above, well below what they were playing at going into that point. Eight and seventeen would have avoided a hundred losses. Then they had to go eight and ten. <laughs> there were places <laughs> like Boston, Tampa, New York. It's like oh god. <laughs> well, and Tampa, who they'd already lost to on the losing streak, is like yeah. oh okay, this is yeah. But they did not. They they did yeah. not go that way, but that definitely was the the low point of the season for me. I didn't I didn't think we were gonna gonna get any worse than that, and we didn't. They they did recover, and they you know uh, came well short of the hundred loss uh, category. I was going to agree with this, but then you reminded me of that bit with Sanchez and Fisher right after the trade deadline. <laughs> <laughs> 
So like in terms of like, if you're just talking about, I actually agree with you in terms of like where the team was not being able to get better. But in terms of fan perception, I don't think it could have been lower than Aaron ball Sanchez and Joe Biagini combining for a no hitter while Derek Fesher takes a ball off the face. Yeah, that's it's like some sort of karmic something or other going on beyond the regular baseball, you know, results. Because you can't read that one on the stat line exactly. You, you no. don't know that those two things are going on simultaneously when you read the box score the next day. <laughs> okay, uh, listener categories. Uh, I should probably just shout out all the nice folks who sent in questions because we've kind of got them all jumbled up here. So, um, do, 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 do. so uh, David Hahn at Davy Danger Pants, Kate Stanwick at OK Stan, Joe at Jokus108, Luke at Split Letters, Matt Sweeby at Blue Jay Matt, Heated End at Heated End uh da, da, da. how are you today at x24 rocks uh, are all of the people who sent in questions categories for us here so some of yours we began with the most gifable moment what do you got josh it's for me it was to me what was the most fun moment that was not actually technically from a jays game <laughs> it was <laughs> it was tangentially blue jays related though it was just what? The yeah. the gif of Vlad cranking home run after home run after home run after home run in the derby. Into a giant video board of his own face. Right? That was <laughs> the best part, is where he's hitting all these home runs. Unlike all the other guys, he's hitting himself home runs. So you get his reaction and the home run in the same shot, no split screen. That was the best. It was a perfect gif. I would say that uh, just, you know, as a, the recency bias of the late season, I would say Biggio's smile as he trotted into third base, tripling for the cycle, um, was was the most gifable moment. Because, you know, an emotional reaction on the field is always cool. And it was a, a fun accomplishment. So just to be a little different, we're going to go with, with Biggio for me. Most underwhelming player. Well, then. I feel like limiting this category to just two guys was... You know, one for you, one for me was was probably not where we were going to go. But we did it. We tried. We restrained ourselves. You go ahead first. Elvis Luciano is my most underwhelming player. I didn't expect great things of him. I assumed he would be on the roster all the year because of the, you know, the kind of punting on the season. But he he just barely struck out more than he walked over the course of the season. And I was like, I just, I can't get with that. I, I don't like walks to begin with. But wow, this is just horrible. Yeah, I gave him a little bit of a pass because he never pitched above rookie ball and had no business being in the bigs. For me, it was a guy who, you know, we've talked about a couple times very recently, Derek Fisher. I mean, I didn't expect great things, but I expected decent things. I thought, you know, he would at least show some level of power or on base ability because he's shown some of that in minors. I mean, his on base percentage was... 110 points higher than his batting average, but that's because he hit 161. And he also just doesn't look like a baseball player. <laughs> I mean, that's not a, a symbol of talent. I mean, Derek, he's, Hunter Pence looks like the least baseball player of all time, and he's been pretty darn good for a while. But if you're not performing and you don't look like you belong in the field, it's hard to get excited. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we have been underwhelmed now. Uh, another category that was suggested, and this is why we go for listener categories, because I would not have ever thought of this category. Who was the most whelming player? 
I love this one. Yeah. So my take on it, of course, was that an underwhelming player is one who kind of disappointed you with with all their potential. An overwhelming player would be someone who, you know, blew you away with with, uh, their performance over what you assumed. So the whelming player would be the one who kind of managed to be like right in the middle of everything with with very little fanfare or hoopla surrounding whatever they did. Yeah, that's exactly what I agreed with. Which is why I went with Roddy Tellas, whose numbers were okay. You know, they weren't great. <laughs> he, yeah, he went to the minors, came back, and then was mostly the same. Walked a bit, struck out a lot, but hit some home runs, and his overall numbers were fine. Like <laughs> they were okay. Uh, I got I got Randall Grichuk for similar reasons because Randall. Uh, you know, after he had his very rough start and then he had a decent second half in his first season, this season he was, he seemed to be a lot more, you know, even keel, but it turns out even keel, I mean, at the, at the end of the season he had a, a, an exit interview with someone and, and he was like, oh, it's, you know, been a bit of a down year. But I think if you look back at his numbers, it turns out that this is exactly the kind of year that Randall Grichuk always has kind of down. I, I, he just... There he was, and he was supposedly going to play center, and he didn't play center, so he played right in a mediocre way, and he hit a few home runs and didn't get on base and struck out a lot, and then we all went home. <laughs> Funny thing about that, I was listening to an interview on the Jeff Blair show, which or the Baseball Central with Blair and Barker. Don't ask me why I was in the car, and I'm a masochist apparently, but yep. apparently Grichuk doesn't like playing center field, which is why he plays right. Great. Yeah. Maybe they should have asked him that before they extended him. <laughs> so, Randall, what do you think about center field? Oh, I hate it. Ooh, uh, this, this, this was actually for somebody else. Sorry about that, guy. What about what's that paper you got there? It's nothing. It's uh, just a uh, napkin. Ta- taxes. <laughs> Canadian tax documents are really thick. It's just some forms for a completely unrelated player named uh, Grandal Richick. Uh, anyway, it's like a bad <laughs> Simpsons sketch. Okay, so a uh, player we are least likely to believe was actually on the roster. Now, I have joked before that the Sporacle quiz for, and you did pretty well in this. Someone did make a Sporacle quiz for every Blue Jays pitcher in 2019. Yeah. And you missed two or three? No, I wasn't that good. I well. think I'm, I think it, there were 40 names at the time. I, there might have been more added after that. And I got to 30 four or something all right okay so this is one of those if if you ask me in three years will i be able to tell you that this person was a you know a, a real part of the 2019 blue jays or did you just add them somehow mentally who uh, i have zach ruskup uh ryan doll sorry is it ryan doll mm-hmm. and ryan fireband despite his really cool n- name and nickname that we invented for him all three of those guys i i'm just not going to remember come 2020 june totally fair Uh, i went with a guy who entered the season with a lot of fanfare but i forgot that he actually pitched ryan barucki because he (laughs) seemed like he was injured all year but he did come in and pitch twice and he was bad he's terrible which is why he went back on the dl and was out for the season (laughs) he was not healthy um we have been asked uh not only last year but this year to evaluate best hair and after our best attempt last year when we had russell martin doing his kid and play uh you had an answer for everyone with the best hair this year yeah they were hats (laughs) (laughs) 
We're going to have a revolution. <laughs> People are going to be like banging down the door to the studio. You can't say that. The hair is important. <laughs> Hats and helmets. Yeah. Uh, you know what, folks? You are probably better at judging that than we are. But, you know, let us know. Most surprising wins above replacement total based on how you feel like the player performed. So I have an answer for this. And it was an answer you gave a guy you gave earlier as being very, you know, whelming is Rowdy uh, to us because he hit 21 home runs in 409 plate appearances, which in a vacuum sounds like a guy you might not want to face at the plate. But because he doesn't really play defense and he can't run the bases and he, oh, yeah, doesn't actually get on base other than pretty much when he hits home runs, he's a rounding error away from being exactly replacement level like literally grab any scrub with a first baseman's glove and you could sub him out for rowdy rowdy tellers and not notice it's amazing yeah so i i did end up actually looking this up i just forgot to write down my answer for me it was freddie galvis because based on how well he hit and how good his defensive reputation is i actually thought he would have been a two-win guy and he was not he was 1.4 even though he was only there for, you know, a little over two-thirds of the season, I thought it would be higher. Um, so our next category is the player, quote, done the dirtiest, unquote, by umpires. And um, I don't even think there's a real... Is there a discussion here? No, of course. It's Vlad <laughs> Jr. <laughs> oh, he got... He, I feel like sometimes he might have gone up holding the other end of the bat and gotten the same amount of strikeouts uh and walks because clearly umpires thought he he was his dad and could hit everything on the edges and sometimes not even on the edges he just he got hosed over and over and over again and you know sometimes it wouldn't show up in the sense like on a replay because it'd be strike two on a on a one one pitch and all of a sudden it's one two and he's chasing on the next one so yeah he just he got really hosed a lot and, and I still don't know, like, I don't think there's a conspiracy of umpires against Vlad Jr. Don't get me wrong. But whatever was going on with him, he never got the benefit of the call. Yeah, I wonder why stuff like that actually happens. And it's like, is it some veteran earning it kind of thing? Or is it just a weird thing about the way he stands and approaches the pitches that distracts umpires? Tough to say, but regardless, he he did not get an even strike zone. Okay, now we we were asked for the sixth inning pitcher of the year. Now, how did you take that category? Because obviously it's open to interpretation like a lot of other categories. Yeah, so I basically took it as a pitcher who was not one of their in-the-mix-for-saves guys, which basically was Ken Giles, Derek Law, and Daniel Hudson. All right. And I took the best one that wasn't those. So I went with David Phelps, who... You know, he only pitched in 17 games, but he was pretty good in those 17 games, and he was one of their big offseason signings so that he could do this, which was pitch well enough to get traded and bring something back. And he did. Fair enough. So I took six-inning pitcher um, slightly differently as uh, the guy who would be first after the starter because none of the starters were getting to the sixth or seventh inning on a consistent basis. Um, so someone who would have to pick up the slack for maybe not just the sixth inning but to hopefully get to the, uh, you know, to bridge it to those three guys you were talking about. And I feel like Sam Gavilio, 
um, with his multi-inning abilities. And, and I mean, he had, he had good streaks and bad streaks, but I feel like, um, you know, shout out to a guy who it really isn't an unsung position. Again, Phelps is never going to win any awards for what he did either. Uh, but somebody in the modern game where you don't have starters going seven on a, on a poorly assembled rotation, um, somebody should probably get a little bit of recognition for those guys. Yeah, I agree with that. And by the way, he, despite not making a single start this year, still finished fourth on the team in innings. Yeah, which is the other why I'm saying he was, I think he's valuable because he's obviously pitching in the sixth. If he's, if he's racking up innings and not making starts, he's got to be somewhere in there. (laughs) Uh, There's a lot of that not making starts, but anyway. Okay. Filthy stuff. Dirty, filthy stuff on the mound. There's only one answer to this, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) (laughs) It's our boy, Ken Giles again. There he is. (laughs) I mean, if you want an indicator of stuff, the ultimate one is strikeouts. And he struck out 14.1 batters per nine, 83 strikeouts in 53 innings. And his, I mean, strikeout per nine can be kind of a misleading stat because, you know, if you're giving up a lot of hits or or a lot of walks or, or whatever, you know, you're actually not striking out as many batters. But people didn't do any damage against Ken Giles either regardless of whether they hit the ball or not so you know he he comes in there and strike out he struck out 39.9 percent of the batters which is elite indeed which follows best base running iq as a category uh we appreciate that that it was an easy one to answer as well kevin biggio who uh not only ran a lot faster than i thought he could uh don't know why i made that assumption but also Never got caught stealing. That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, we could just translate this to like just a general baseball IQ question, not just base running. And his is off the charts. Like that bunt double that he had, where he basically popped it over the shift. Mm-hmm. And you know, like I, like you said, fourteen stolen bases without being caught, without being overly fast. He's not. I mean, you said faster than you thought, but he's still not quick. And he takes the extra base really well. He was just an all around excellent base runner but also just excellent at the small things on the field that help take you from you know fringe to actually a good player imagine if he'd had a dad who was a major leaguer who could you know teach him that when he was young one who was good at base running and things like that (laughs) we should look into that whether that was something that would have helped him out okay uh best home run celebration and this was a year where everybody hit home runs all the time what in your thought for the best celebration it was Vlad again in the Derby. Yeah. <laughs> he was you know, throwing up his arms and like, celebrating breaking records and just having an all-around amazing time at the end of each round. And that's what you want to see. I mean, that's the whole point of that event and also just what you wanted out of, that, out of Vlad regardless, that, you know, that exuberance and excitement. So Now, next year, if we can get him to do the home runs on the field, then he can do that during the game. We're all good. One step at a time. Right. One step at a time. Um, all right. That is the sum total of our lovely listener category. So once again, thank you, everybody who wrote in. I hope we have provided an amusing and or interesting version of, uh, of the weird categories you wanted to know about how the Blue Jays fared this year. And now we enter the very, very serious phase, Josh. These are the ones that, you know, 
we're going to have to have a couple of players come up and make speeches as soon as they get here. Um, when, once they receive <laughs> their awards, <laughs> I may have mailed them the wrong date. Killing me. Killing me, Greg. <laughs> I'm <You're> sh- one job. <laughs> I was, I had the papers and then I had the other papers and I must've, I must've crossed, uh, the Saturday with the, the Tuesday. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't think any of the players are showing up, Josh. Should we go ahead without them? Yeah, we'll give it our best shot. Okay. All right. So, hitter of the year. Who do you, uh, who do you award hitter of the year? Or who, who do you nominate for hitter of the year? Because we can hash this out. Yeah, I, I think this should be a bit of a discussion. I, I went with Bo. Just, you know, he came on and played enough of the season, I think. You know, he had 212 plate appearances, which is not a ton, but it was enough to just make the kind of impact that he did and look like a legitimate great major league hitter through those two months that he played, but also just going forward. And, and I mean, he accumulated a lot of value, but I'm going to have to disagree here and I'm going to have to nominate Eric Sogard, who despite leaving the team, now I'm also going to include the fact that he got the team something back, which is kind of cool, but um, I feel like a guy who came out of nowhere to suddenly leverage himself into a skill set that's super valuable. And he actually did by, by wins above replacement. And again, you got to round it off a little bit because it's not super precise. He was the most valuable hitter on the team. Even though he left in July. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a very good pick. I think that I mean, there's really only three names that it could be. It's Sogard, Bichette, and Lourdes Gurriel. And I don't know if you can really go wrong with any of them, but if we're going to give it to one of them, I mean, giving it to the guy who played the extra 100 games or 100 at-bats over, over Bichette, then I'm fine with that. All right. I think as a, as a protest to the way this whole season went, I think we're going we're gonna to call the hitter of the year Eric Sogard. <laughs> Officially. And then we're not going to protest that anymore as we go through the, uh, through the rest of the awards. Fair? Yeah. Okay. I don't know if worst hitter is actually a protest award, but I would like to first of all highlight that I had a lot of choices here. I, I, so did you? Okay, we have a document <laughs> that you know, which is like just for our own little, so we can see where we are. Greg wrote so many choices, <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and I, then his pick, Socrates Brito, who incredibly ended up being like the Bison's MVP, but with the Blue Jays. I'm just, uh, I had the window over here. Uh, with the Blue Jays. Like his batting line? Yeah, show, throw me the batting line. So he had the incredible 0.77 batting average with the 163 on base percentage <laughs> and the 128 slugging percentage. <laughs> Lower than his OBP. Socrates Brito managed to be underwater by uh, three quarters of a win. Uh, in just 43 plate appearances. So if somehow they had let him continue to play at that abysmal rate, he would have been almost seven wins negative. I'd also That's like to ha- He didn't even get a, on base for the first, I, I looked it up, 10, 11 games of his career. He just literally was a black hole for this team. So yeah, a strong nominee for a worst hitter. It's a pretty good one. Um, I decided to go with someone who was around just a little bit longer. 
Just because... so his impact could be a little bit worse. Is that yeah. Yeah. It's cumulative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is this accounting stat. And, and by the way, so Kevin Pillar managed to get a negative 0.3 war in five games. So I think he was right up there. And he went on to lead the San Francisco Giants in home runs. Yeah, well, that says a lot about 2019 as baseball status. But uh, so my guy was Luke Maley. Ooh. Luke Maley had a pretty good year last year. You know, for Luke Maley Sanders. He led the team in woods above replacement by both fan graphs and baseball prospectus. <laughs> didn't repeat that. No. So two years ago, we talked about how he had the lowest on base per- or the lowest OPS of any qualified hitter with his number of bats in team history. Yeah. He didn't quite reach it again, but he really tried. He didn't get that 407, but he dropped, stepped in at a nice 440 with a 151, 205, 235 line. And he's still a very good defensive catcher. He threw out 40% of the base dealers in 2019, and he had you know two shot innings on the mound. <laughs> but, you can't just – I mean, this is a hitter award, so that doesn't help him, unfortunately. That's Right. This yeah. isn't worst – Worst player, it's worst hitter. And it was Luke Maley because he got enough at-bats to be terrible and kept getting more at-bats until he eventually lost his job to Reese McGuire, who was great. Yeah, I'm I'm the Lukey Barrels of 2018. I'm not remembering at all where he had a couple of good weeks because that didn't happen, period, this year. I'm I'm amazed at the, the lengths he'll go to. But, I mean, he only struck out in 25% of his bats. Brito struck out in 39.5% of his plate appearances, Josh. That's not very good. I can't even believe that number is real. Oh, wait. Derek Fisher struck out in 40.2. Never mind. <laughs> good God. What was going on with these people? Um, uh, a yeah. lot of swing and miss. I, I don't even... I see your point about Luke Mele. Like, it's almost like Socrates Brito is kind of a rookie-ish, you know, sort of prospecty guy who's never really made the bigs. Luke Mele should know better, is what you're saying. Yeah, and he got the <laughs> chance to show better. <laughs> and nothing. All right, we're going to call worst hitter Luke Mele. I'm with you. You've, you've won me over. Ooh. Just because it, apparently Socrates Brito can hit, he just can't do it at the major league level. Sure. <laughs> Pitcher of the year. Hmm. Top yeah. one. <laughs> okay. Rhymes with uh, Ben Miles. There you go. I was wondering <laughs> you to come up with. So Marcus Stroman. Yeah. Not, no, it's not. It's Ken Giles. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, everything that he could have done. I mean, we keep talking about him, so it's hard to like, keep throwing out facts about Ken Giles, but everything we knew about him coming into this year and basically coming into when he was traded with the Blue Jays was that he was an elite elite strikeout pitcher who limited good contact. Well, this year, he, you know, excluding his rookie season where he pitched 45 innings, which you know, it's not bad. Like, that's that's enough innings. He had his lowest hits allowed, and he had his most strikeouts and his lowest walk rate. That's trending in a pretty good direction. 
So there are only two... Now, regardless of innings pitch, there are only two people who had a lower ERA than Ken Giles this year, which is why I agree with you 100%. Ken Giles is the guy. But I don't want to forget the number one guy, Luke Maley. No, I don't care about Luke Maley and his pitching ERA. Um, the number one guy for ERA on the Blue Jays only got to make five starts uh, and had a 1.57 ERA over that time. And it was Matt Shoemaker before the injury. And I feel like I don't need Matt Shoemaker to have a 1.57 ERA next year. But if he can come back from that injury and put an ERA somewhere between two and three, or even like three and a half, he's going to be right at the front of this this rotation. So I just... Well, I, I certainly hope three and a half isn't right at the front of this rotation, but I do yeah. agree that... <laughs> Well, I'm hoping they actually get a pitcher who's good. Fair. You know? Yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Matt Shoemaker was tremendous for five starts. Well, four and a bit. And then he went all Brett Cecil on us and got his knee torn up in a rundown. Yeah. So that's super unfortunate. But um, I think that that's, I don't want to forget about him while we hand out Ken Giles' hardware. So, Ken. It's a good honorable mention. You're the man. Matt Shoebaker, maybe next year. Worst pitcher. Well, 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 well. There were options. Oh, yeah. we. It's it's tough to decide when you've got uh, Yancy Diaz, who pitched two-thirds of an inning and still managed to walk 57% of the people he faced. Um, or you have... Uh, let's, let's look at some ERAs, Josh. Uh, no. Ryan Fierbend after this five is... innings, eleven ERA. Is that good? Okay, this this, this has been depressing enough. Doing a postmortem on this season. Let's not read these all out. Let's just pick one and move on. Okay, well, you you and I didn't really actually differ that much on this one, which is why I'm kind of uh, making fun of it. It's it's Edwin Jackson. It's Edwin Jackson. Edwin Jackson got 28 innings with this team and and posted uh, an 11.12 ERA. Yeah, they gave up 3.8 home runs per nine, only struck out six. And it was just, it wasn't even just the fact that he was terrible. It's that he was terrible as a starter, which a lot of these other guys weren't. So the game was not out of question, not out of hand when he start, was pitching. And by the time he was done pitching, it was. And I, it was like there was just nothing else. Like there was no other way or something to uh to to get him out of the rotation like I don't know how that happened that there like no matter what happened there was Edwin Jackson for his next turn and I was like really is there nothing else we can do with this this rotation so that was other the disappointing part was like every 5 days you were like please tell me Edwin Jackson is not starting the next game and they're like yeah well we're going with Jackson <sighs> well uh, to me like the the ultimate Edwin Jackson game was that one against the Angels when he actually didn't start? Derek Law started as the opener, struck out Tommy Lastella, got Mike Trout, and then struck out Shohei Otani, and then Biggio gave him a one nothing lead with a home run in the first, in the bottom, and then Jackson comes in, home run to Justin Upton, <laughs> home run to Cole Calhoun, and then he got two outs. Then he went walk, single walk, double home run, single before being taken out. Everything <laughs> and the about score that was hurt. seven to one. Everything about that start hurts so bad. Now, he went to the Tigers, um, and 
Yeah, I think his first start wasn't too bad. I don't quote me on that, but he did end up still. Yeah, and I thought, oh, it's going to be one of these. Like the Blue Jays have have, have broken uh, Edwin Jackson, and he suddenly fixed himself. No, he ended up with a an eight point four seven ERA in thirty nine innings with with the Tigers. So it turns out Edwin Edwin Jackson, um, the fork has been stuck in him. He has he is done. Yeah, he went out and had good a couple good starts against the Royals and the Mariners, and then he faced real teams, and the mm. truth came. Yeah. All right. Which leaves us with the most important award of all, the uh, esteemed Artificial Turf Awards MVP Award. Which so I want to give. Down to, yeah, go ahead. To two people, right? Because we have a best hitter. Yeah. Who we gave to Eric Sogard. <laughs> and we have a best pitcher. <laughs> who we, we gave, gave to Ken Giles. Absolutely. And I promised I wouldn't give another award to Eric Sogard. <laughs> are you gonna are you gonna back out on that I, it's it's tough to do when a team assembles an entire list of 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 hitters through an enti- a, a whole major league season and nobody can break 2.2 wins above replacement nobody can nobody can seem to put together a how should i put it all-star caliber anything I feel strongly like Eric Sogard should should get this award, but that discounts the great effort that Ken Giles put into doing his very best while hurt on the crappiest team that he could possibly have been on um, under his set of circumstances. So, uh, you know, I'm I'm okay with giving this to Ken. Yeah, I mean, I, I just had to go with Giles just because you know he led the the American League in strikeout percentage. In this era of the Super Bowls, he did a pretty good job of keeping the ball in the park. He didn't walk people. And he was just in a season where wins were so hard to come by. At least you knew that if you saw him come into the game, they were probably going to win. So that was kind of a nice feeling. And yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I am. Uh, even even if it's not, you know, strictly a numbers based win, he certainly was the most consistent uh, full season player that the Blue Jays had. So, Ken Giles, you are the Artificial Turf Wars MVP. Mm. But we're not done. Because nope, we got one more. Our favorite thing to hand out here is the do over. For when maybe you might want to think again about how all of that played out. And we have a do over of the year, which uh, Josh has brought to my attention. So, I will allow you to set up the do over of the year. Yeah, so this do-over of the year kind of came about really late. We had a when, – when the Blue Jays went through this deadline, which we talked about, and Marcus Stroman was traded to the Mets, it's been well reported that he kind of had a meltdown in the clubhouse, refused to talk to Ross Atkins, all because he wasn't traded to the Yankees. More, more really that he was traded to the Mets, who were not a strong contender, but also not traded to the Yankees. And then just before this postseason – it comes out that Brian Cashman wasn't really that interested in trading with Marcus Stroman because they thought he'd be in the in the bullpen in the, in the playoffs, which was the ultimate like that's the ultimate do over for Stroman, right? Is finding out that not only did they not want you, they didn't even think you were good enough to be in their rotation. Yeah, I mean, it, for a guy who humility is a non-existent trait from everything that we've seen from his Twitter feed to his, you know, his the way he talks to reporters and the way he promotes himself and everything else, to be told, yeah, you're really only maybe good enough to be a reliever for us, so we're not too fussed about you, is is the ultimate being taken down a peg, I think. 
Yeah, and then you know he came back with it. He tweeted a picture of the ERAs for the Yankees starting rotation, which, to his credit, <laughs> they were worse. And I actually did, agreed with Stroman that he was. I mean, I would to me he was probably their third best starter. Like I wouldn't have him ahead of say Severino and Paxton, but the other guys, yeah, I probably would. But it's just it was really funny. <laughs> the ultimate eating crow. Well, yeah, it doesn't matter if he's right as far as we're concerned. It's whether Brian Cashman wants him or not. Ultimately, is whether he's a New York Yankee. So you can tweet whatever you like as your stats, Marcus. But there's a reason you're on the Mets. Although you yeah. could ask the Mets what that reason was, and they probably still aren't sure. Uh, yeah. I'm amazed we didn't give the duo over the year to the Mets somehow. Well, I mean, we if we're, if we're just giving a league-wide do-over, it's just like the Mets are the do-over. I mean, how many times did we, did we go to them for our season ones? I, I feel like uh, they they saved our, our do-over feature for the season. So shout out to the Mets, who are the MVP of our uh, our joke section. So I guess... Uh, that wraps up all of the awards that we have to give out, which means in the truest sense of the word, I am about to ask for your final thought, Josh. Final thought on this Blue Jays season. Well, it couldn't have gone much worse is really the answer. I mean, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. wasn't that great. Sanchez was bad. Stroman was traded. Smoke wasn't great. I mean, all the things that we were really hoping for going into the season didn't really translate there were some good things obviously like Lourdes Goriel and Eric Sogard and Ken Giles and you know Kevin Biggio like the things we talked about earlier in this podcast but it was just an all-in-all disappointing year which thankfully has led to Ross Atkins coming out and saying that this offseason is going to be a lot more like the 2016 and 15 offseasons so where they actually are getting real players as opposed to playing on the fringes so hopefully that actually comes to fruition not his you know, 2016 exit interview where he said, we want to add one impact bat and one impact arm. And they got like Randall Richard. Yeah. Um, as a final thought, I would say that the front office is possibly the most confused PR machine, maybe outside of the Mets, um, <laughs> that I've ever seen uh, going forward. Because the very first thing that I saw was them dumping cold water on the idea of winning a championship in 2020 and and from what i can tell the last couple of interviews have been like the gradual walking back of the well we don't mean not competitive we mean like we have a long way to go to be competitive but we're willing to do some things to be that way and then you know trying to get back to the point where maybe people might want to buy tickets for the team but i can't believe you they they, they i still can't believe they came out essentially with with the first, you know, post-season uh, interview saying, hey, you know, it's just too far to go to expect to win next year. Like, why just don't say anything? That would probably be better. The Twins yeah. went from a 78-win team to a 100-win team. 22 wins better. Now, I don't propose that the Blue Jays are going to go to a 100-win team. I agree. It's not possible to do that unless a small miracle happens. But to go from a 65-win team to an 86- or 87-win team seems like something you could strive for because that gets you back in the playoff hunt again. And that's what they should be talking about, not, well, we just don't know about it. You have no payroll commitment. None. 
talk about spending money. That's what we want to hear. Yeah. And that, other than let's not ever do this again, <laughs> is my final thought. So I want to send a shout out to Michael Warner, Jonathan Morton, George Vague, Dino Champlone, Dean Lund, uh, Canock, Kate Stanwick, Hugh Boyd Wilson, Chris Sharp, and Ben Doddington for being on Patreon. Uh, an official Artificial Turf Wars thank you to Tom Molly, Todd Bartlett, Sam Dowdle, Mark Buckner, Luke Porterfield, and Dylan Cochran. And we'd like to thank our Game Time patrons, Matt Sweeby, Jarrett Seaman, Deco Cuff, and Dave Church, who have all joined us at least once, I believe, uh, to uh, come on and play a game uh, for their dedication to uh, helping us make the podcast happen. And of course, our banner member, who I hope is still enjoying her Baseball Prospectus premium subscription, Colleen Evans. Thanks once again, Colleen. It has been yet another year of, uh, of having you out there and uh, asking us questions every week, and it's uh, always good for you to keep in touch with us. Thanks again to all of our patrons for another year of Artificial Turf Wars and the Blue Jays. And um, all the best in the offseason. Basically, at this point, I think we're going to go every two weeks, as we usually do, with some extra pellets episodes sprinkled in there for our Patreon members. Uh, unless something big happens, in which case, we'll be right back at the microphones telling you all about how we feel about it. Right, Josh? Mostly true, except for the fact that I'm going on my honeymoon tomorrow and I won't be back until October 27th. So you might not hear me for a little while. That is the kind of honeymoon I wish I had thought about when I got married. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 158. I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead 2010, and you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem. And uh, this has been the 2019 Blue Jays season wrap, and we'll talk at you again in a few weeks. <laughs>